Welcome to Real Talk Intervention, episode 13. We may have standardized tests and we may have standards of knowledge, but you can never standardize teaching. I am Sarah Underbrink, here as always with my co-host, Stephanie Garcia, and uh, here at Real Talk Intervention in the month of April, we have been asking the question, why are you doing that to different educational stakeholders? We started the month questioning why teachers do some of the things that they do in their classroom and whether or not they should reconsider their practices, and then we wondered why does our Texas legislature do the things that it does? Uh, We questioned why why is there a really strict series of requirements for graduation, but then we're always introducing bills that say, oh, well, never mind. You don't have to actually do those things. So let's go ahead and let you graduate anyway. We wanted to finish up April by critically examining our own practices. So we're going to be using our growth mindsets here and, oh, and boy. keeping the understanding that every teacher brings different beliefs, values, skills, and talents to their classrooms. And if you've listened to us before, you know that Stephanie and I, uh, we are really different. We think really differently. We do things really differently. I'm a science person. Stephanie is an English person. I'm and I think that... Sorry. And just based on, based on the fact that you're singing that song, I think I'm the rock I'm the rock and roll one. No way. I'm clear. rock and roll. You, um, <laughs> Are we going to have like a Romeo and Michelle moment? You sang an Osmond song. <laughs> Therefore, <laughs> you are country. I am rock and roll. Uh, you're totally country. I will not give up rock and roll no matter what you say. <laughs> uh, we're really different. And these different perspectives, you know, they make us end up in kind of these different places. And they really, honestly, they make us make really different mistakes. I want to feel confident that what a mistake looks like for me might not be a mistake for other people. It might be gold for somebody else. But to understand that no matter what practices we are using, that we are honestly always reflecting and self-assessing our practices to make sure if they work. I think we do need to understand that a lot of times in teaching, it's a spectrum of personality. And there's a lot of different ways to get to one result. And, and Stephanie and I, you know, we are that spectrum. You're, you're one side and I'm the other. And I think between the two of us, if we just sort of talk about what drives us crazy about each other, I think everyone's going to find themselves somewhere in this spectrum. Somewhere on that. So <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try really hard not to get all weepy and, and babyish. So <laughs> can we start? Can I start with my question for you so I can build? up my mental fortitude to understand the the flogging I'm about to get. All right. Well, I can I can take it because I mean I really do do everything perfectly, so I'm Uh, not really worried about I'm not worried about what you think about me. Yeah. People who know me are like, yeah, she she really thinks that. That's like like data from Star Trek. Yeah, pretty much. That's me. Pride myself on that. My question for you, Sarah, is How do you do the same thing every day, day in, day out, year after year after terrifying year? I am getting (laughs) bored just thinking about your life right now. I have to understand why are you doing that? (sighs) Stephanie, 
I have this philosophy and that philosophy is when it works, you do it. And and it is true, you know, in my job, I do have a system. And while I may tweak it from time to time, I come down on the, on the perspective of I do something, I see that it results in increased test scores. And I just, I just kind of keep doing it. And I, I don't really understand why I need to change up what it is that I do. Uh, to me, if it works, it works and you do it. For me, teaching is so much of an art form. Uh, I mean, I know that that's probably like the Englishy part of me. <laughs> but if I personally had to do the same thing every day, I think I would be tearing my hair out and I would be looking for a new job within a couple years. It is honestly a really a very much of a challenge. I think that's one of the challenges of my of my position is that I do year after year teach the same stuff, teach the same concepts, teach the biology over and over and over again. But I really honestly I don't see what else to do because when you have a system that works, it's really difficult for me to take that risk and, and jump in and say, well, I don't really know how this is going to play out in the end. Whereas I know if I teach this lesson and I do it in this way, I know it's going to result in increased test scores. I know I'm going to see that. So I mean, to me, I don't want to take the risk. Of, of jumping in and, and possibly not seeing that, that success as a teacher. I am teaching the same content, the same skills, the same everything all the time too. But that doesn't mean I'm teaching the same like lessons every single time. You've got like your series of your your series of lessons that you're doing every single time yeah. and it's for every because, I mean, like we've talked about before, every kid pretty much comes in here with zero, right? Right, So right. you're starting from zero every time, and you build the kids the exact same way. And to me, yeah. it's like, I know that it's effective. I've seen your, I've seen your scores. You're, you're fabulous. But to me, like, just, just the art of it feels like it's lost at that point. And I hear you on the risk thing, but when you're making a risk... Yes, there is a there there could be a possible negative there, but there could also be a better payoff. Like what if you can take your kids from like, I don't know, 91% passing to 100% passing, but you'll never know until you make that risk. Maybe you are right. I mean, maybe I could get even better results. That's possible that I could. But it also kind of feels to me like my creativity sort of shuts off when I find something that works. And I just I I feel like, "Oh, I've solved the problem." I mean, that just seems like a very scientific thing to say. You know, mm-hmm. I have made a solution, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you think about chemistry, I've made a solution right. that has a certain effect. The effect is what I was wanting. There's no reason to make another solution. And that's really what it feels like. I mean, wow. I, if I were to even sit down and try to redo things, I mean, it's like I, there would be a block. And, you know, to take your to take to your art analogy, um, I do think teaching is a lot of artistry as well. But I think the difference between, you know, my form of artistry versus maybe your form of artistry is, you know, I think that there it's not not art when you're the person who's on the streets of New York City and you paint that skyline over and over and over again. And your skill is being able to recreate a picture that's still art it's not creating new art but for a while there before we had the copy machine it was the only kind of art that mattered right you're actually picturing hercules disney's hercules where they have like the rows of people factory lining hercules picture onto the urns you know like that was a thing like being able to recreate what you need to recreate over and over and over again and doing it with fidelity and i'm going to argue with you stephanie to the point you know we talk a lot about standard education and standard education is equality education and so you know my students i know they're all going to get the same 
same lesson and the same access to the information and the same opportunity. And that's not to say that, I mean, obviously I do differentiate as far as how much time I spend with each student or how deep I get into the content. But in general, I do have a standard approach. So I know for a fact, like these are all the things that, that the kids need to learn. But you're right, I'm missing an opportunity to innovate. And, you know, and it, I know I'm blinded. I, I feel like I really do shut down when someone comes to me with new ideas and they want to tell me new ways to do things like in professional developments and stuff like that. I mean, I am, believe it or not, I'm absolutely the quintessential, you know, angry teacher in the back of the room at professional development. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe not you, believe it or not, but I mean, I think maybe the kind of teacher who would start a podcast, people might think that I'm, you know, sort of like the nice little happy teacher who does everything that I'm asked, no, but I'm actually grumpy. super cynical and, and yeah. difficult to work with. So, and a big part of the reason that I am, I'm very much like, well, this is, this is the way that this works. And I, while I have grown enough as a professional to understand that not everyone can do the same thing and get the same result, I do feel that if a teacher is doing something and it is working, I am very resistant to trying to get that teacher to change. And, and that includes myself. Well, I'm curious about a couple of things because you did mention differentiation. And I can see how your your system works and it works really well. But I do feel like that you do have kind of a like a niche kind of student mm -hmm. that you're working with like how do you expand yeah. that that for different needs and then the, the other part of that is what do you do if you are so rigid on a system once you've created something that works like how do you then grow in a different way without exposing yourself to different methods no you're right i mean i do think that uh, differentiation is something that i do not do as well as you do but i think a lot of that does come down to and again this is my rigidity of thought and i'm a science people can can come at me with this but there's so many things that you just have to know and you have to know them in a certain way that I don't really see how much differentiation I can do with my content as far as I can't let students have choice as far as what they are allowed to learn or what they want to learn. I'm not allowed to have that. Now, sometimes, you know, when I am working with students, if I really see that what I'm doing is not working, then I will, you know, move away from the system and that sort of thing and, and, and go into some different styles and videos and animations and hands-on lab. But that just really, honestly, it's very seldom the case that I, I come across that sort of student. There's no root underlying cause for why you fail a science standardized test other than you don't know science. That's just absolutely what it is. And that is what it is in every single case. So I've got to get them to learn science and I have to get them to really know it in the way they need to know it. It's not hard to make students get interested in science. It's easy to make students get interested in science. What's not easy is to get them interested in reading technical science passages and answering technical science questions. That is not easy. And that is unfortunately, in my opinion, there's just a particular route to that. Interest levels and stuff like that. I, I don't know how great I'm doing on that. But I don't feel that that's necessarily what I'm doing. I, I mean, I'm, I'm getting them to know science content. In the end, you are right. From what I've seen of your results, the pathway that you've set out has led you to the same results for those kids and they're good results so I understand why you're doing what you're doing I do I could do better about trying new things I could do better about working toward you know more 
I, I have to admit that making my students interested in science is not my primary objective. It, it's really not. And I am very test-centered and I am I am very rigid in the way that I do things. And I'm sure that it is holding me back. And it, it was being creative and it was thinking about how I could solve my problem that led me into creating something that worked. And so if I could keep myself from just stopping there and being like, cool, done, walk away, then, you know, perhaps I would come up with something different. However, that being said, Stephanie... Oh, no, I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared. (laughs) Here's the thing about Stephanie, y'all. All right? There's so many Stephanie is like, if you want to picture Stephanie's brain, you can just picture that guy in a beautiful mind because she has got a wall filled with things and then there's interconnected yarn and it's going from deal to deal and there to there and every time you walk up to her computer she's got 45,000 tabs open because she's multitasking on a million things when Stephanie quit our, our the job that we worked at before we we took our position now when she quit I got together with some of the other teachers on our team and I sat down and said, all right, I want to give Stephanie a going away present and here's what I want to do. I was like, over the years, we have seen Stephanie do so many things. This girl is a fountain of creativity. She is good at good things, but mostly bad things. And so what we did was we created for her the bad idea board, which was this beautiful cork board filled with all these post-its of all the amazing things that she had tried to do that had then sort of projects that were way too large in scope. Stephanie is a super brilliant mind, but Stephanie, there's a lot of failure on that board. There is not a lot of failure for me or for the students because all those things on that board, they really loved and I had great <laughs> I know. things on there like the puppet shows. Y'all made fun of that <laughs> like crazy, right? And this was something, I was we a did. beginning ELA teacher and I didn't know what I was talking about. I hadn't done a lot of research. I just thought this would be a good way to get kids reading aloud with fluency and, and to improve that because I noticed that that was something that they struggled with. You know, and then as I start getting my master's, I start seeing all these things that I used to do are suggested ways of dealing with these, including the puppet shows. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, mean, it was unsuccessful to you guys because, I mean, I was probably a very different teacher than everybody else on that staff. Everybody else on that staff was very much like you. Yeah, uh, very that's true. procedural, step by mm-hmm. step, and and that's that's not me. I'm 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 really kind of throwing the paint on the wall kind of person and see what happens mm-hmm. and then learn from yeah. that next time. So have have you ever <laughs> done the same thing year from year? Like, what have you? Is there any? Are there any lessons that you really recycle as far as? Oh, this is a good lesson, and I'm going to keep doing it. There are repeated strategies that I use. See, you see, y'all. Lessons, no. You know, honestly, yeah. I go back and I look at lessons that I did two years, and I go, I'm like, oh, this sucks. You know, I just have to. I mean, I might take a, a piece of that, like a, a seed of it, and it might seed another idea into that. But yeah, no, I. I'm in this for the kids, but I'm also in this for me. And what I enjoy is to learn about new things and try new things. And I feel like I've grown faster as a teacher because of that. I do feel like I've, I've made mistakes, but it's been kind of the kind of mistakes that 
were more informative than if I had not made those mistakes. You know what I mean? Like to mm-hmm. me, there's no difference between succeeding and failing at something because it's just one more piece of data that moves me to my next goal. Everything that you do, you know, it is so inspired and it is so amazing. But you know, Stephanie, there's something to be said for perfecting your art. So do you feel like, you know, doing all these things that you do and and going all over the place and teaching like the millions of different strategies that you've tried because you've tried everything from puppet shows to using logic puzzles. My gosh, do you remember that? Okay, so I got to tell a story. So the first day I was teaching, my first day, I came in there and I was like, oh, these are struggling kids and I'm going to set up this whole thing and it's going to be how to re-engage with the content that they've abandoned. And you know what really got me interested were logic problems. That was so much fun for me as a kid. We're going to start that off day one that's gonna be our bell ringer right because i said (laughs) oh you have to have a bell ringer so okay i bring in this very very simple logic problem (laughs) after 45 minutes we're still trying to just understand the concept of logic And I am close to tears. I could tell the kids are like close to tears. We're all just like tearing our hair out because there's just no understanding between us. I don't get what's hard about this logic problem, right? They don't get why we're doing this. I just want to get the credit, miss. I don't want to have to do this stupid problem. Can we read a book, please? Can I read a book? It's the first time anybody ever thought that in that classroom. So... (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but think about that though that led us down down discussions over and over and over again looking at like kind of their logical connections some of the things that they weren't getting in science had some a lot of parallels in english got us looking at the cognitive psychology part of teaching and got us thinking and we you know it just it's like a springboard like everything leads to another piece like i don't know well i know i know that's happening for you i know that you as a teacher are having those growth moments my question for you is do you think that's happening for the students with some of these like really awesome ideas that you have that i know are are really cool and that you learn a lot from them i i just kind of wonder you know where's the perfectionist are you going to be really 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 great at making that airplane and is that airplane absolutely going to fly or are you going to be creative and try all these different ways of making airplanes but not all the airplanes are going to fly and that's what worries me and while you're doing that you're not getting better at making a plane that flies i do lean on certain strategies more than i did as a as a novice teacher now and i've i've learned how to increase how much repetition were those strategies that we're getting. I think that was one of my big things when I was beginning was that I would abandon a strategy if it wasn't working the first couple times. And I think that came from me not understanding the amounts of repetition that were required for some of our struggling learners. Right. I wasn't one. For me, you know, once or twice, I've got it. But I didn't really realize that some of these kids need to hear this probably seven or eight times before they even remember that they've heard it. I think it blew my mind to the point where I could never recover from that. The the idea that these kids would probably need seven or eight exposures or something before they even remembered that they'd been exposed to it. 
right? You know, like yeah. the teachers say, oh, well, we talked about this two times and, and why don't they remember? They don't remember you talking about it. That's what kind of put me to this rigidity because I kind of feel like the way that you teach, you know, which is very like free flowing and free form and innovative. And I feel like it ends up, you know, you take a lot of time doing these sort of large projects. I'm like, I don't only have a certain amount of time to get those repetitions in there. And that's what kind of got me to where I became pretty resistant to the kind of teaching that, that you prefer because I just felt like it may be fun, but it's not getting my learning outcomes there. Here's the benefit I have. And I think it's more related to my content than probably your content and my benefit is is because there are so many effective needs that are all tied up in this idea of I can't read. I can try something that I do with everyone and then when I see that it's not working that I have another pathway for that kid. So it's helped me be a more individualized teacher. Has has my teaching become more repetitive over time? Absolutely. That's a lesson that I've really had to learn. Creation is not the end in and of itself. You know, for things to work, it takes time, especially with our population. It takes lots of repetition. And I have to stop doing the squirrel thing. You know, ooh, squirrel, shiny thing, shiny thing. Ooh, look at it. Because, I mean, I'll read a Kylie Beers or I'll read, you know, Chris Tavani and I'll read, you know, Stephanie Harvey. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to rethink everything that I've ever done in the education and I'm going to change everything and and I've got a whole new system and then I do that for the year and then I come in next year and I'm like oh, oh that's I so annoying and I'm going to just do everything oh my god and I've got a new appreciation for yeah it's it's, it's I'm a lot. stressed it's a lot I'm stressed, well, see, I'm stressed thinking about thinking about you in your classroom doing the same thing every day <laughs> like to me the level of stress that I get from that is not worth it so yeah I would rather come up with a new system every single year and then always kind of keep the pieces of the ones that came before, like kind of like the, kind of mining the graveyard for the bones that I need to create my new Frankenstein, right? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes yeah. it's going to tear apart the whole country, I know, and the yeah. villagers will have their pitchforks. But sometimes Robert De Niro plays him and he's pretty cool. I don't know. I think that the one thing I, I do want to take away as far as like, so obviously, you know, you and I are super different. And I think that there are people who are listening who are like really annoyed with me and think that I suck now. And then other people who are really annoyed <laughs> with you. I will kill that woman. <laughs> yeah. Like, I guarantee you someone at some point is like, oh, that's Sarah. She's everything that's wrong with education. Like there is no question that that, that came out. But, you know, here's the thing. I, I think that the takeaway between the two of us is, which is this, we are paying attention to whether or not what we are doing is working. I do what I see works, but it has to work. Many teachers that I work with, we're all very rigid in the way that we do things and we're not like you and we're not willing to change everything based on new research or whatever. I think what frustrates me about rigidity is when you're seeing that what you're doing is not working or you're doing something and your assessment is coming back and they are failing the assessment. Then you have to say, no, I have to change. I need to do that. And and same with you. You're like, okay, I tried this lesson and it bombed and that obviously doesn't stress you out like it stresses me out, but you take from there what worked. Where did I see measurable improvement? It really doesn't matter if you want to do the same thing all the time as long as it's working or if you want to reinvent the wheel and try every new thing and have fun in your classroom 
as long as it's working. I want to make sure that teachers know if you're going to be like me and be all crazy and, and, and all over the place, I have something that I am strictly rigid about, and that is constant assessment. That, that's the one thing that will not change and that doesn't change no matter how much my lesson planning changes. I'm using the same assessments all the time because I want to know what's working in comparison to other things. You can't just do something and then either not even pay attention to if it works or if it doesn't work, you do the assessment and they get bad scores. We can't just sit there and say, maybe the test question was written incorrectly or maybe they didn't understand this word. No, Mm -hmm. take the assessment, grow from that, learn from that and change if you have to or keep on doing what you're doing if you have to. But you've got to have one thing rigid in that classroom and it's got to be the assessment. Exactly. And same thing for me. If you want to be like me and you want to do your entire planning one year in advance so that when you come in every day, all you have to do is pull up your computer or open your file cabinet and see what you're doing that day and do it excellent and with precision and perfection because you are so darn good at it. If you want to be like that, then you can be like that. But when you see that your test scores are not coming back and you see that you can no longer measure your students' learning, you've got to walk away from that, no matter how great it looks to you, no matter how much you enjoy it, no matter how good that activity is, no matter how used to teaching it in that method you are. Whichever way you go, as long as we're having learning outcomes, you're doing it right. So the, the answer to the question, why are you doing that? Are Apparently, you doing Stephanie, that? <laughs> it, it's that we, we can't do anything else. <laughs> who we are. And this is what we're stuck with. We are who we are. And, you know, that's why we, you know, we may have standardized tests and we may have standards of knowledge, but you can never standardize teaching because teaching is an art and it is an individual art. And we would never think that every teacher needs to do everything in the exact same way. And that, that is never what we're calling for. But we are definitely calling for standardized accountability. It doesn't matter how we get there, but we've all got to get to the same place. So April has been a has been a month of, of, of criticism and self-reflection and, and, and growing and, and that's because you know it's it's almost to the end of the end of the school year. In May, we are going to be relaxing. We are going to be talking about what makes us happy in the classroom, what makes us happy teachers. May is happy teacher month on uh, Real Talk Intervention. So next podcast, episode 14, the kickoff of Happy Teacher Month will be on May. 9th, Tuesday, May 9th. Until then, you can follow us on our blog, realtalkintervention.blogspot.com to see what we're blogging. Please follow us and like us on Facebook at uh, Real Talk Intervention. We're always sending out uh, new articles and things that catch our eye. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or on Stitcher so that you always have the newest episode of Real Talk Intervention at your fingertips. Please email us or drop us a line on Facebook. We would love to uh, hear a little bit more from our listeners and what you're thinking what you'd like us to talk about sir i would love to have everyone who's listening go onto our facebook page and join us and i'd love to have everyone put on there their why are you doing that moment share with us what you've been doing and when you finally realized "Ooh, that's that's not working the way i wanted it to work because i think that what i got out of today was that self-reflection that that really being honest with yourself is is fabulous for the soul it just kind of lifts that burden off of you and i'd love to have that moment for other teachers out there 
Yeah, let's hear it. Get on our Facebook page and, and let us know. What was the moment that you said, wait, why, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? <laughs> Maybe you stopped. I don't know. We've all had those moments. So uh, thank you for joining us, and we will talk to you in May. 